chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Come on in for an evening of poems and stories about the American West. A land of legend, of romance, of friendship and courage. A motherload of remembrance. A true showcase of the Old West with the old cowboy, J.C. Holsey. How much is your health worth, ladies and gentlemen? It's priceless, isn't it? Well, my friends, one half dollar is all it takes to put you in the pink. That's right, ladies and gents, for 50 pennies, nature's true remedy will succeed where doctors have failed. Only nature can heal, and I have nature right here in this little bottle. My secret formula from God's own laboratory, the earth itself, will cure rheumatism, it'll cure cancer and diabetes, it'll cure baldness, bad breath, and even curvature of the spine. A scene in a small town in the American West, a traveling medicine show, perhaps better known as a snake oil salesman, has arrived. It doesn't take long for a crowd together to hear his spiel. A cure for whatever ails you was his sales pitch, and many folks accepted it where they might not accept what a regular doctor told them. Did the concoction that these peddlers pushed have any real medicinal value, you might ask? Perhaps yes, perhaps no. It could depend on the individual. We all know there are some folks who think they're sick when it's really all in their head. For these folks, yes, the peddler's so-called medicine might help them. But overall, this was just some concoction mixed up by the self-named traveling doctor of medicine, the snake oil salesman. Here we are, folks, for episode 21 of the Wild West Showdown. How many of you tuned in for the Halloween special? I really enjoyed doing that. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. How about that interview with Vincent Price? If you've got somebody you want the old cowboy to interview, whether from the past, the present, or even the future, why don't you send an email to jc at outlawspublishing.com and I'll see what I can do about doing just that. I think it's time for some country music. What do you say? Here's Taylor Cowing singing Lost Highway Dreams.
Thanks, Taylor, for that great song. Thanks to Hollywood, tales of America's western frontier are among the most popular in the world. Close your eyes for a minute and think about the Old West. What do you see? Cowboys and Indians, sheriffs and outlaws, wagon trains, and the iron horse. Frontier forts and one-horse towns, shootouts in seedy saloons, and stampeding cattle out on the range. And the Wild West was indeed all these things and more. However, there were more than the pale faces and redskins of the movies, TV, and even old history books involved in shaping the western frontier. How many movies or TV shows have you ever seen where the black man owned a saloon, or a general store, or any business for that matter? How has the Asian been portrayed other than working on the railroad or a cook on Bonanza? The only Mexicans we saw in the movies were the feared Mexican banditos. The truth is, African Americans, along with Mexicans and Asians, were the other pioneers of the American West. They made their mark as explorers, trappers, cowboys, ranchers, farmers, gold miners, stagecoach drivers, scouts, cavalrymen, outlaws, lawmen, school teachers, saloon keepers, and just about everything a person could be in the Wild West of the mid to late 1800s. Bass Reeves was a deputy U.S. Marshal and was only one of the many black officers, sheriffs, deputies, and judges that kept law and order alive in the Wild West. Reeves spent 30 years in this perilous job in Oklahoma's Indian Territory. He was a crack shot, winning 14 shootouts with men who all drew on him first without suffering a single wound. But what made him one of the best in the West was his smarts. Reeves couldn't read or write, but he was a skilled detective, a master of disguise, and an expert tracker. Of all the outlaws Reeves went after in his long career, only one ever escaped. I could go on and on about many others who helped to shape the American West, but I think I'll talk about the others in a blog in the near future. Check it out at outlawspublishing.com. We have with us today Arthur Bob McCullough. Welcome, Mr. McCullough. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. When I first discovered you on Facebook, there was something that caught my attention. It was your age. You said you were born in 1905. I said to myself when I saw that, I've got to talk to this gentleman. <laughs> no, I, I was actually born in 1956, so that's actually a bit of an around to avoid ageism and, and certain biases. You get my drift there. Then you posted on Facebook on October the 13th that you had been writing mail-order romance books for about six months. Now I know I've got to talk to him. <laughs> yes, I've become one of those gender oddities, I guess is the term I use for the moment. So you feel that nobody want to buy a romance book if they found out a man wrote it? I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't have much experience in this genre, so I can't speak to anything very authoritatively. 
my sense from the brief amount of time that I've been doing it is that the audience would accept it at some point, but at the same time, I do think it would take a lot longer to establish that kind of reputation. Your Western romance, I could see working. The whole of the mail order bride, that's a tougher, tougher niche, if you will. Why do you think it's tougher? Um, it's tougher in the sense that it's like any subgenre. It's it's just a bit narrower. My background in this goes back to people like Willa Cather, and it also crosses over to people like Zane Grey and Louis L'Amour. So you can get an entry point into Western romance from those two writers. That makes a lot of sense. Mail Order Bride transitioning into that, it's not nearly as linear, I guess, is the way I'd put it. I think I'd have to disagree with you a little bit on that, because I think Mail Order Bride romance books is one of the hottest sellers on the market. My take on that is it's, it's sort of an old historical version of what we're seeing in the modern world. The modern world is people meeting online through social media, through dating services, through all of those things. If you go back and try and trace these things, you can go all the way back to, to things like arranged marriages in just about every culture you can think of, or many cultures anyway. And so that's kind of where it's all rooted in, is this sense of adventure in terms of trying to do something that looks completely crazy in terms of eating or finding someone. How did you decide on the name Louise Chisholm for a pen name? I picked that one out of thin air. That was just sort of, I, I knew from talking to people that I, I wanted the name to sound a certain way. And that was just what I happened to come up with. There was no rhyme or reason to that. The fascinating thing about that has been, if you do an Amazon search on Lucille Chisholm, the thing that will come up, if you know anything about Chisholm, is the old John Wayne movie. So you'll see DVDs and such for Chisholm, and about four or five items down, you'll see Lucille Chisholm books, which I think is, that's sort of hilarious and sort of, how did that happen, you know? You write Mail Order Bride books under Lucille Chisholm. You wrote a talking dog book under Robert McCullough. I see where you've written some sports books under Bob McCullough. Are you kind of having a hard time deciding on a name? Uh, no, there's, it's just the history thing. I mean, the, the sports books happened a long time ago, and so I had that name, and then there was, a, there was a long gap. I actually took a pretty extended hiatus from writing. And when I did the dog book, it was a romantic comedy. I just did Robert McCullough instead for no particular reason, and that indirectly was my path into Mail Order Bride because everyone who read it loved it, but I knew nothing about marketing, and I was inept at it, and it didn't do that well. And so a friend of mine from social media said, you should check out this subgenre. And I checked it out, and I said, okay, I'll give this a shot and give it a go. And from what I see, you've been very successful at it. I've been doing pretty well so far. I mean, it, it takes a while to establish the pen name, and there have been a lot of twists and turns in terms of figuring out what kinds of books specifically I want to do in Mail Order Bride as far as the length and the specific subjects go. But for all of that, I'm pretty happy with the progress I've made so far. Is there anything in particular that inspires you to write? I love stories. I have a background in journalism, and that's the common thread for me in all of it, is telling a story well, whether it's an opinion in a column, something in an article that I'm trying to convey, a short story, a book, regardless of the genre, all of that, that's my common thread. That, that's what gets me going and what keeps me going. You said you were inexperienced in the marketing side of it. Do you have a publicist, or do you do that part of it yourself? 
I don't have a publicist. I, I'm sort of ineptly finding my way through it. I've had some help from a few other authors who have tipped me off as to some of the things to do and really has been one of those two steps forward, one step back kind of things. I noticed on Amazon that one of your books received a one-star review. Now, let me say right here that that same book received five five-star reviews. How does that one-star review make you feel? It depends on the, on the review itself. And my approach to reviews, good and bad, is, is always the same. If there's substance to the review, good or bad, and the reviewer is coming from a place of integrity, then I take the review seriously. I always look at it and say, okay, do I agree with it? Do I not agree with it? And what are my reasons either way? The reviews that bother me are ones where the, the reviewer I, either missed something, didn't take something into account, or is just doing something that doesn't make sense. It stings for a day or two, but beyond that, it, it's a little hard to take seriously, you know what I mean? Yes, it makes you wonder, did they really read the book? And in a lot of cases, they haven't, or they've skimmed it, or they're just right. doing it, and everybody gets negative reviews, and you just realize that there are a certain amount of very cranky people out there who are going to slam you regardless of what you do. The way I see it, if you get a bad review and then you get a good review, that good one kind of overshadows the bad one. Another way to look at it is any review can be seen as good because at least you're getting a review. The old adage, there's no such thing as bad publicity, right? Exactly. On the other side of that coin, how does it make you feel to be so well received by your readers? That's been one of the best parts of it. I knew this audience would be receptive. If I did good work, I knew there were going to be some, some ups and downs in terms of figuring out exactly what they wanted. But this is a very loyal, voracious audience, and having people jump on like that, it really is kind of an amazing thing to watch and be part of. You say you wrote 11 books in six months. How in the world did you do that? I made up my mind when I went into this that I was going to do it to the fullest extent of what I could do. And the further I got into it, the more I needed to keep writing. That was just the level of commitment. I'm not sure how I got that many books out or how I did that much writing, but it really was just constant, steady, daily writing seven days a week for an extended period that I guess is what now, about, you know, about five months now. I found that when a story wants out, you can't hold it back. You have to keep going. Yeah, and in this case, it's just been one idea after another, and the fine-tuning for me has been in the storyline. How am I organizing series? What kind of characters am I going to use? Kind of tweaking all of that stuff to get closer to what this audience is looking for, ideally. That brings up the next question. How do you come up with characters' names and titles to your books? The titles have been pretty easy. I'm good at titles. I'm terrible at book descriptions. The covers I have someone do for me. I'm pretty good at generating concepts, so that part pretty much works. But I'm fortunate in the sense that I don't believe in writer's block. I believe that if you're truly invested in something, then you're going to generate ideas, you're going to write stories, you're not going to have trouble with that. And if, you're, if that's not happening for you, then it really does come back more to your level of investment and commitment. So I don't know if I can really explain how I come up with the ideas. But for me, as I've gotten more immersed in the genre, it becomes easier to do that, and it really is just comes down to a combination of the daily writing and the fine-tuning. I think that's one of the best descriptions I've heard. It just comes. 
my additional thought about that is you see people all over the place who are doing all sorts of programs and whatnot to access their creativity, come up with ideas and, and all that sort of thing. And all of that is wonderful, but for me it's a little bit different. It's, it's, it comes down to is your life organized and set up in a way that, you, that allows you to be creative and that allows you those ideas to come through because they're coming from something else that we don't necessarily have a lot of control over. Do you use an outline and how much research goes into one of your stories? I don't do a lot of specific research for each individual book, but the backdrop to that is that when I got into this, did a pretty serious level of immersion in the genre. So that's where I've, where I've gotten that part of it from, is just it's just going back, rereading some of the, the Zane Grey, Willa Cather kind of stuff, then looking at the current genre, who's doing well, and then I have kind of maybe a little different way of writing in the sense that my weak point for years and years was that I didn't do enough outlining. And so I'd start something, I'd get halfway through or three-quarters of the way through or however far through, and it would take some kind of a turn on me that I hadn't anticipated and I'd just get stalled. And for years I said to myself, you know, you've got to learn how to outline. And when I started doing this, I still didn't outline, but I was writing fairly short books, so that kind of played into it for a while. And I would find myself not necessarily outlining, but I would conceive the story, I would start in, and I wouldn't necessarily have a formal outline, but I would always be working like, say, two or three scenes ahead. So as long as I had that, as long as I, and the framework for the story, I was able to sort of do an end around or circumvent that kind of, that kind of problem. Out of all your books, do you have a favorite? Boy, that's hard to tell because they're all slightly different orientation and I'm kind of fine-tuning as I go. My favorites are these, they're the slightly adventurous things that happen to work with the audience. The new one is an astronomy book, Mail Order Bride, which is real different. So because that's most recent, that's my current favorite. And I have a couple of ideas along those lines that I'm hoping will become future favorites, if that makes sense. You mentioned Willa Catherday. Is she your favorite author? She's my favorite author from that period. She was, she was kind of my touchstone for that as far as a reference point when I went back into this. Some of the late century, late 18th or late 19th century, other people like Jane Eyre and even people like that, even the Regency stuff, you know, that you wouldn't normally think of as being related to Westerns, but the language is kind of similar in some ways. It seems slow and stodgy compared to what you read today. But it was a different kind of storytelling that was a little bit more rooted in the area, but at the same time, it, it became classic in some way. If you don't mind sharing with us, could you tell us why you took so much time off from writing? I don't know if burnt out was the, the right word, because it wasn't strictly that. But things were going in a different direction. I had something else. I had an opportunity to start a small business, and... And I wanted to do that. I was very driven toward that work, and it just seemed like the thing to do at the time. I, I would say that I was somewhat frustrated because I hadn't had the level of material success that I wanted, but that's a life in writing for most of us. And so it was just, it was more being pulled in another direction in terms of starting a small business that I was really passionate about. What do you think about this new way of publishing that we have today? Do you think if you'd have been writing the way you're writing now back in the day, would you have been a success? I think if I had gone into it back then and the conditions were the way they are now, 
I think I would have had a much, much better success. My take on the current situation, and this is, this is appropriate for this interview, is that while things have still settled out somewhat in electronic publishing, it's still a little bit like the wild, wild west out there. The good side of that is the door is open for more people who can write especially those who can write well, and even for people who don't write that well. I mean, one of the best things that's happened in terms of electronic publishing is that it's been a boon for ordinary people who just want to do what used to be called vanity publishing and had to pay through the nose to do it. It's given those people an avenue that they never had before. So it's like that old Chinese thing about danger and opportunity. You get this opportunity, but there's a lot of weird things that, that come with it, and that's kind of where we are. So if that had happened back then, I think I might not have taken that hiatus. I might have had a level of success that said, okay, stick with this. You know, keep it going and see where it goes. I personally feel that this self-publishing business that we've got today is one of the best things that's happened in the publishing business. I personally feel that each and every individual has a story that they want to tell. And this technology we have today allows us all to do that. I agree with you completely about that. And the other thing that I think is wonderful about it that you know that I that, you know that I didn't mention is that it has broken the stranglehold of the so-called big six. Publishing used to be an insider's world. You couldn't get into that world. You were basically locked out. You basically had a drawer full of rejection. What advice would you give to someone who wants to be an author? I would vacillate between two things. One would be the timeless wisdom of having a fallback option that you can use occasionally where you can make money in terms of another field or something like that. And my other piece of advice would be remember that we all have our own journey and the important thing about writing is not necessarily what you're writing or how you're doing it or how much money you're making or success you're having or anything like that, the important thing is to find out about yourself and what works for you as soon as you can, because that's when you can start to enjoy it and be and have fun and be productive. That's some really good advice. We want to thank you for being a guest on the Wild West Showdown today, and I want to give you a personal invitation to come back and visit with us anytime. I'd love to. It's been a genuine pleasure. All right. Talk to you later. Take care. Do you remember last week when I told you about Outlaws Publishing being on a roll? Well, it is on a roll, folks. Kenneth S. Pratt's Western novel, Will of Falls, entered the market last week. Travis McGoy's Western novel, The Medicine Tree, will be hitting the market the day after Thanksgiving, along with one of my books, The Empty Sleeve. And that's not leave out John D. Fye Jr.'s books, Blood on the Plains, and Luke Presser, U.S. Marshal, which is on Amazon right now. And the newest addition to Hondo Publishing, a subsidiary of Outlaws Publishing, Mr. Dennis Gager released just yesterday, November the 2nd, his Time Travel Western. Dennis is a best-selling children's author and has decided to throw his hat in with the rest of us and has written a fantastic story. I personally believe Storm to the Past is going to be a bestseller. We're also negotiating with several other authors to publish their stories. I told you Outlaws Publishing is on a roll. The reason I keep telling you this is because I don't want us to roll past you on the way to the top. You need to get on board and travel along with us, either as an author, a singer, or a supporter of Outlaws Publishing. Send an email to jc at outlawspublishing.com and let me know in what capacity you want to be a part of Outlaws Publishing. That's jc at outlawspublishing.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Now, how about us playing a little bit of original country music? 
Here's Derek Hoyt singing a song that he wrote for his daughter, Bring You Home. This song is called Bring You Home, written for my daughter, Dahlia Rose. Started this a couple months ago when she was still in the hospital. I hope you enjoy it. Mommy and Daddy so glad to have you 
much. God bless you all. Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks a lot, Derek. I know your daughter enjoyed that just as much as we did. Well, it looks like our time's run out again. You know, I've been talking to our producer about lengthening the show. What do you think about doing that? Are you willing to listen to the old cowboy an even longer time? Why not send an email and let me know how you feel about it? Send it to jc at outlawspublishing.com. That's jc at outlawspublishing.com. We want to give a special shout-out to Derek Hoyt and Taylor Cowling for their great music. You can find both of these young men on Facebook and YouTube. Why not send them a friend request and let them know you heard them on the Wild West Showdown? And a great big thank you goes to Bob McCullough, or should I say Lucille Chisholm, for being our guest author on the show today. You can find Bob's books on Amazon, and you can friend him on Facebook. Now here's your Cowboy's Wisdom for the week. Remember that silence is sometimes the best answer. Until next week, this is the old cowboy saying adios and happy trails. Come on back next week to the Wild West Showdown with the old cowboy J.C. Holsey.